Hello, Fred Kuhn interviews our next guest expert. And now, here's Fred. Welcome, everybody. I have a very interesting conversation today about moving the military. Our guest is Tony Valentine, who is the Regional Director of Operations for North America for Crown Worldwide Group. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Let's focus on the question, Tony. What are the issues of moving the military? I mean, are are they big? Are they small? What are they? The issues are very big. In short, it's one of supply and demand. And the simple thing is that the military has the need for the moving of over 500,000 families each and every year. And there is only so much capacity that the industry has to supply. And that is exacerbated by the fact that around 40% of those moves, or over 200,000 of them, are required to happen in the very short peak summer season. So uh, that challenge shows its face in terms of customer complaints or upset or poor customer service. The military tells us that at least one in 10 uh, moves in any given year incur delivery delays or excessive damage. And the military members are telling us that they're not happy with it and that it's not acceptable. And they told the military recently in the form of a petition where over 105,000 members signed uh, demanding improved customer service from the moving service or the moving industry. What happened as a response to that, Tony? Well, interestingly, finally, there was a response. Short term, they have attempted to increase capacity from the moving industry by having an open season and inviting new applicants. They've also made some changes to their policy, allowing crating on moving services so that there's less pressure on household goods vehicles and general transport can be used for the crated items. And they've increased the number of inspectors that can be used to do quality control. But those are very short-term incremental improvements The big change that the military has proposed is an outsource of the move management of the whole process to a single supplier by the summer of 2021. That's a massive change. It's not an outsource of the moving service itself, but an outsource of the management of that moving service and the management of the various moving companies that are involved in the supply chain. So no longer, it wouldn't be managed by the military anymore. It'd be managed by a private outside contractor. That's right. Why do they feel that would be better? Why do they feel that would be better? It's just too bureaucratic inside the military or what? Well, I can't speak for the government, but I can say what they have said is that they expect this outsourcing to be more cost effective, to be more efficient and to increase capacity. Those are the three stated goals of this outsourcing. Well, let me understand this. How can it increase capacity when there still are only so many companies and there's such a narrow window of demand, the 90 or 120 days in the middle of the summer from you know getting out of school to going to school? We have a 90 to 120 days, less in some places. That creates, as you said, an incredible demand on the resources of all the moving companies. Why would outsourcing help that demand any? How would it mitigate that? I personally don't know. I don't believe it will. I don't see how it will. And most of my colleagues in the moving industry agree with that. And that is a concern that I believe is a very legitimate one. 
The only thing that it could possibly do is improve efficiency and communication between the single source supplier and the movers, which could perhaps create efficiency in terms of vehicle allocation if we're able to communicate and plan better. Well, I I look at it from the uh, family side of the members' uh, plight. And I'm on a a council in Arizona, and we deal with a lot of veterans and military issues. And I I know from just listening to uh, conversations and presentations that whomever the member is, is transferred and everybody else has to play catch up. And uh, it can be very difficult because they have they have to get rid of their old leases, they have to find new leases, they have to get the move, and all of a sudden there's no infrastructure to help them do that. How is that going to be addressed? That's right. But I think that's one of the good things about the fact that they're making this change or suggesting this change is that they're finally listening to the members and their family, and they're finally trying to do something that will improve their experience. I think that by outsourcing to a commercial entity, there will be natural efficiency and a removal of the bureaucracy of dealing with a government department where there will be better supply chain management. There will be better auditing and quality control and uh, hopefully, like I mentioned earlier, better communication. So I think those things will lead to a better experience for, for those families on the move. And I do believe that that should be the most important consideration. Let's get down to the micro level of this, Tony. Uh, We're talking with Tony Valentine, who's the Regional Director of Operations North America for Crown Worldwide uh, and Group. Tony, at the micro level, a contractor, even a small company who could fill in a niche gap where bigger firms need to outsource or they need you need to find other sources, they're not government contractor approved. They haven't gone through that very extensive, very expensive, and very long process of becoming a government contractor. How do you use them if they're not a government contractor? Well, these are some of the unanswered questions at the moment. It's going to be up to the respondents to the RFP to suggest to the government how they will manage that, how they will select their suppliers and manage them and ensure the quality is up to par. And all of those things are the the skill set that the government will be looking for in their single source supplier. And then they would be willing to relax those regulations about you got to have an approved GSA supplier, or is it the major contractor that's the GSA supplier and then they have freedom to subcontract? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I think that that sort of thing remains open for, (laughs) um, you know, for interpretation, but the government overall will still remain ultimately accountable. So they will be setting parameters, guidelines, expectations for their supplier and for every member of that supply chain that flows down from that. So it won't be just you know, a hands-off approach. The government still has to remain accountable. Addressing the military members, and we have a lot of listeners and subscribers to this podcast series, what would you say to them? What do they need to do? They need to continue to speak their mind. They need to continue to share their experiences. And I really do think that it's reasonable for them to expect a better service. As an industry, we should not be happy with feedback that one in 10 of our our services are experiencing delays or, or excessive damage. That's not good enough. And we need to listen to that and improve. But the military organization itself needs to listen to that too and do what it can to help 
the industry help its members. You know, it's no point pointing fingers from one to the other. Everyone has to have a joint responsibility and ownership here. If you were talking or addressing your peers in the moving industry, what would you tell them the number one priority is? I think it's focusing on the customer experience. The number one priority has to be that. And generally, when you break that down even further, it's about communication. It's less about training drivers and movers on the ground because they're all great people who know their business. It's when the pressure is on and that high volume is is happening all at once that things slip through and it's often communication. So I would uh, be recommending that everybody look at how they communicate internally and externally and start there as the focus for improvement. Let's look at the other side of the coin. I'm a driver. Let's take it right down to the micro level. I'm a driver. I'm a good driver. And you call me and you say, I've got 90 to 120 days of absolutely hard, steady, 12-hour-a-day work, whatever it is. And what happens in November or February? I'm off. How does that work? What does the industry do to address that big surge and then the calm-down period? The thing is, in the peak period, if you're a high-level driver, you know you can be more selective with which moves you choose to take. And if uh, you've got a high-volume customer that drives lower prices, you're less inclined to take that business than uh, in the wintertime when there's less choices. So as a driver, you've got your own business, you've got your own family to feed, and you've got to make your own decisions that tend to be more selfish but understandable. So I think relating that back to the military, if they can provide a good solution to the industry that allows the players in the industry to make a reasonable profit no matter what time of year and not put undue demands on, um, on their life schedule, they'll receive a better service. It always leaves the members, though, caught between the two, right? Between the service provider and the bureaucracy. And that's a very unfortunate outcome. And that's what military is trying to resolve. And I think that they can resolve it in part with this, but there are some things that will remain unknown because none of us have a crystal ball. Like the question you asked about capacity, how can this possibly improve that? I I don't know. I'm doubtful about it too. And there's going to be a period of significant uncertainty between now and 2021 when the eventual supplier is in place. Will drivers or agents with concern for the upcoming change get out of the business and further reduce the capacity. That, that's a possible outcome, a very bad outcome if that is the case. There's also uncertainty from the House Appropriations Committee at the moment as to whether they'll even approve this change with their budgetary control. And so there's a lot of uncertainty now in the next 18 to 24 months that could make the situation even worse. So a lot of things to be concerned about. I, I think another big concern too is that five or seven years down the track, whatever the time is when this contract comes up for its renewal, assuming it goes ahead on schedule, the incumbent supplier would potentially be in a position of monopoly power where uh, nobody would have the opportunity to really have a genuine 
bid at unseating them as the incumbent because they would have all the resources and technology and and finance set up. That's my experience as well with government contracting. That's correct. The incumbent always has the inside track. So what we're saying then is to our members, what we're saying is keep communicating with the the, the Defense Department. Keep complaining, keep writing, and also keep thanking if something does go right and explain what went right and explain what went wrong so better decisions can be made. Right, Tony? Yes, and we should all continue to focus on them too and try and provide the best possible service that we can each and every time. And I know that my fellow industry members of the moving industry, we certainly strive to do that and have always done, but we, we just have to keep doing it. Folks, we finish another session. Our guest today has been Tony Valentine, who's the Regional Director of Operations for North America for Crown Worldwide Group. Tony, thank you so much for joining us at the U.S. at Work. Thank you. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.